Thank you very much for that uh, very convicting song. Well done. Will that be what you hear when you stand before our Lord? During this COVID pandemic, there's been restrictions on travel. Cruise lines have shut down. International flights were restricted and many, many other forms of travel have been limited. I think there is this pent-up desire to go somewhere. Do you feel it? You want to get out of Dodge. You want to do some traveling. Don and I love to travel. Can you remember what it was like before GPS? Before those cell phone technology that the actual person uh, talked to you, I mean on the phone? Well, before then, you had to go old school and get the Rand McNally Road Atlas. You know, I still have one of those things. It's kind of beat up, but I love it. I just, I just get excited thinking about getting on the road again. Well, in Acts chapter 20, verses 1 through 16, we see Paul getting on the road again. This passage describes something like a travelogue. He was revisiting previous places of ministry in Macedonia and Achaia. Then he was planning to go to Jerusalem and then later on to Rome. This whole trip in Acts chapter 20 took about a year for Paul to unfold. No doubt Paul had many experiences during that year. He, he was able to see some old friends. He was able to um, give some families visits and probably even lead more people to the Lord Jesus Christ. But the thing that we see in this road trip is Paul's underlying passion through all of the details, through all of the, the ships and the, and the travel on land. We see something coming, bubbling to the surface is Paul's passion for the church. In Acts chapter 20, verses 1 through 12, see if you can hear that in these verses of Scripture. After the uproar had ceased, Paul called the disciples to himself, embraced them, and departed to go to Macedonia. Now when he had gone over that region and encouraged them with many words, he came to Greece and stayed three months. And when the Jews plotted against him as he was about to sail to Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. And Sopater of Berea accompanied him to Asia also Aristarchus and Secundus of the Thessalonians, and Gaius of Derbe and Timothy and Tychicus and Trophimus of Asia. These men going ahead waited for us at Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days joined them at Troas, where we stayed seven days. Now, on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them. And continued his message until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together. And in a window sat a certain young man named Eutychus. Who was sinking into a deep sleep. He was overcome by sleep. And as Paul continued speaking. He fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down fell on him, embracing him, said, Do not trouble yourselves, for his life is in him. Now when he had come up, had broken bread and eaten, and talked a long while, even till daybreak, he departed. And they brought the young man in alive, 
and they were not a little comforted. Father in heaven, I thank you very much for your precious word. I pray that, Lord, as we look at Paul's travels in this year, that, God, you would teach us some of his passion. May we feel the heartbeat of this great apostle of the faith for the church. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Paul traveled about preaching the gospel and helping new converts begin to meet as local churches. Those churches, in turn, could evangelize their own communities and also, as well, train others and send out new missionaries to evangelize the next towns and plant new churches in other areas. And that process that Paul started multiplied many times over. He did this in Ephesus, so that after two years being there in Ephesus, uh, in, uh, which is a part of Asia, which is western Turkey, those churches there, they, the whole area heard the word of God from that city of Ephesus. Paul was unrelenting in his commitment to the church. He was willing to pour out his life to see healthy churches established. Remember when he wrote to the Philippians, he called that church his joy and his crown. He told the Colossians of his great struggle on their behalf and for those in Laodicea. That they would be knit together in love and attain to all that wealth that comes from a full knowledge of Jesus Christ. To the Thessalonians, they were his joy and crown. And that he really lived if only they would stand firm in the Lord. In 2 Corinthians, he goes through a long list of all the labors and the trials that he had gone through on the behalf of Christ. And the last thing that he mentions is, apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Paul bled church. Well, let's look in this passage of Scripture and, and read between the lines of the travelogue and see his passion. The first evidence of that passion is his passion for strengthening the churches. Now, in verses 1 through 3, he is about ready to leave Ephesus. And we see his encouragement in Macedonia. Now, Ephesus was in a rup- uproar. Remember that uh, riot that they had and it got calmed down? After the uproar, he called the believers together from the church in Ephesus and he met with them and he gave them hugs. He gave them encouragement. The word encouragement there in verse 1 is the word parakalane. And it means encouraging, but also it means to exhort and to comfort. It's, the meaning is determined by the context there. And as he gathered the church together, he encouraged them because they'd just gotten through this uproar and things could have gone south very quickly. He encouraged them and told them that God is going to help you. He will be with you before he had to part company. Well, He moved in verse 2. Now when he had gone over that region and encouraged them, meaning Macedonia, encouraged them with many words. Now this encouragement could probably refer to exhortation 
or strengthening. He went through Macedonia. Now, if you remember Macedonia, it contained the church at Philippi, the church at Berea, and the church of the Thessalonians. So he went through there and visited those churches again, and he strengthened them. I wish that Luke had given us some more detail of that phrase, much exhortation. Paul gave to those churches in Macedonia and Greece during his many months that he spent there, but we probably know what he told them because we have the letters that Paul wrote to these churches. Remember Philippians and Thessalonica. Thessalonians and also his letter to the Corinthians later on. During his three months stay in Corinth, you know what letter he wrote? He wrote to the Romans. And you could just read the strength and the exhortation and the uplift that he gave to these churches that we have for us in what we call the epistles. We see he had a desire to strengthen the churches. And that was really his pattern all through the book of Acts. Listen as I read some of these passages. Acts 14 verse 21 and 22. And when they had preached the gospel in that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. What did they do there? strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith. Acts fifteen thirty six. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let's, no let's now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. He wasn't saying, well, I'm crossed that city off my list. Let's go on to the next. No, let's, let's go see how they're doing and strengthen them. Acts 18.23. After he had spent some time there, he departed and went over the region of Galatia and Phrygia in order, strengthening all the disciples. Paul's passion is not just to see people saved and baptized he went back to them and gave, their, gave them deeper teaching, exhorting them to be strong in the Lord. In all of his letters, it's clear that Paul was not strengthening the church so it could be a warm and cozy in its little holy huddle. He wanted them to be strong, to resist temptation, to be strong against the errors and the philosophies of the world, and also... Not to just be strong for themselves, but so that they could be strong enough just to be also transmitting that gospel everywhere else that they would go. So not just to be satisfied to be strong in themselves. You know, I wonder, and I ask myself this question, I wonder how strong are we here at Peace River? Could we defend ourselves against false teaching individually? Could we keep our children from error in the public school and in the areas where they're going and inoculate them so that they will be strong as well? I know our church has gone through a lot this last couple years. We went through the remodel thing, and then after the remodel thing, we, we had COVID hit our church. And, you know, I think maybe God is testing us 
trying to get us stronger so that we don't cave in to all of the things that the devil throws at us and all of the false teaching that comes our way. I think we need to be stretched and toughened and strengthened in the Lord. Just like Paul's passion was for the church not just to be saved and on their way to heaven. He wanted those believers to be strong in their walk with the Lord. How strong are you? You know, yesterday I did a little bit of yard work uh, and uh, I'm feeling it a little bit today. You ever do that, you know? And I was lifting these bags of rock and putting them down there. And, and my arms are, are a little weaker than they used to be. I'm not 25 anymore. You ever feel that? It says, you, you just can't do what you used to do. Well, I tell you what, spiritually you can be just as strong. It doesn't have to, to be weak uh, as we are physically, we need to be strong. We see Paul's passion for that. Something else that I see in this passage of Scripture, in, in between this travelogue, Paul's passion for, for strengthening the churches, but also his passion for training leaders. Look at verse 4. In verse 4 and 5, we read this. And Sopater of Berea accompanied him to Asia, also Aristarchus and Secundus of the Thessalonians, and Gaius of Derby and Timothy, and Tychicus and Trophimus of Asia. So what is he naming these guys, these seven people for? Well, these were representatives of the churches who had taken offerings in their various churches in Macedonia and other places. So they could give that off to the poor saints that were in Jerusalem. And they sent these seven representatives But we see an overall theme here. Paul was never a one-man show. He knew the value of many hands in the work of the Lord. He was following the teaching of Jesus who told us to go into all the world and make disciples. Everywhere Paul went, he ordained elders. He trained followers. He had Timothy as his protege. Everywhere he went, he knew the value. He told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.2, And the things that you've heard from me, among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Folks, there is a great need for leaders' discipleship today. We don't need more church attenders. We need disciples. Our success is not measured by how many people come to church, but how many are serving the Lord. We need to be doing a better job of making disciples and mentoring and training here at Peace River. So Paul was passionate about strengthening the churches. And that passion also spilled over into investing his life into discipling others who will be strong too. It's so important that we do that. Training more workers. The third evidence of Paul's passion for the church is his passion for local church ministry. Of this whole year of ministry, Luke shines the light only on one day specifically during the week that Paul was at Troas. A church was there and Paul meets with them. 
And we learn some things about the local church ministry that Paul or Luke brings out in this chapter of Scripture. First of all, we find that they met on Sunday in verse 7. Now, on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. This is the clearest passage we have in the Scripture from, that shows us Christians regularly coming together for worship on Sunday. Now, they met in the evening, most likely, because even though it was Sunday, the Romans didn't care. The, the Roman government, it was just another day of, of the week, and so all the people had to work. So they would go to work, and they would meet, and then they would come home, and then they would go to church, because that's the only time that they could meet. They, uh, and a lot of times, there were many slaves that were in these local church assemblies, and they met on the first day of the week, and not on the seventh day, which was the Sabbath. The first day came to be called the Lord's Day, because that's the day Jesus Christ rose from the, from the dead. And we should also remember that the church was born on the first day of the week when the Spirit came to them on Pentecost. So during the early years of the church, the believers did maintain some of the Jewish traditions, such as the hours of prayer in Acts 3.1. But as time went on, they moved away from the Mosaic calendar and developed their own pattern of worship as the Spirit taught them. So we see the pattern developing early in the book of Acts for the believers to meet for worship on the first day of the week. They also, what else did they do? They met for the Lord's Supper in verse 7. Notice what it says there in that verse. It says, down the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread. Break bread. Now, the early church shared a, what we call a potluck meal called the love feast, after which they would observe the Lord's Supper. The breaking of bread refers to the Lord's Supper here. Now, later on, they ate a meal, which uh, was probably uh, breakfast by the time Paul got done with his sermon. They shared that joy of having food together. They enjoyed fellowship. And it gave witness to their oneness in Christ. And it was something because there was a lot of slaves in that church. But the slaves would actually eat at the same table as their masters and the rest of the believers. Because of the oneness in Christ. When you came together in the church, all social positions just fell away. And they were one body. They met for the Lord's Supper, as we will do today. They met for instruction in verse 7. It says that Paul was there. He was ready to depart the next day. He spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. It probably beginning in the evening after work and he preached until midnight. And so why did he preach that long? Well, he was leaving the next day and he had a lot to tell them. Very important things. They couldn't read the Bible the, the New Testament, he had to share this with him. is so valuable. So he instructed them. Also in verse 11, it says, Now when they had 
he had come up and broken bread and eaten it, talked a long while, even until daybreak, he departed. So after the incident that happened after midnight, they went back to the message. You know, I haven't got, I've got four points here and I'm only on three and a half. So, uh, so he kept on instructing them until day. You know, Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. We dare not lose the priority of instruction in the word of God. I think Christians today are losing their hunger for the teaching and the preaching of the word of God. And, and we need to never lose that because it's a biblical pattern. It's the pattern that Paul had a passion for instruction in the Lord's teachings in the Word of God. Well, he preached until midnight. He preached until midnight. We see something that happened about that time. And it shows another characteristic of the church of caring for individuals. We find in verses 8 through 12 that there were many lamps in that upper room. Now, of course, they had lamps because it was night. And they needed to see. Paul needed to see the scriptures that he was referring to. And, and he was preaching the word of God. And as you know, a lot of that heat from those oil lamps would go up. And there was this individual by the, a young man, probably, who knows, he might have been a slave, just a young man working all day, tired from working all day. He was up there in the upper uh, Third story up is what it says. Third story in this room where the window was. So he was sitting where you could get a little bit of air anyway. But all of that uh, lamp would reduce the oxygen content. And so Paul was preaching long. And I'm sure he tried to stay awake. Have you ever tried to stay awake? I mean really tried. I remember when I was in college. I worked UPS uh, uh, from midnight to four in the morning, you know, and I got home and studied, and then I had a seven o'clock class, and I sat right, you know, I was one of those students that didn't want to miss anything, so I sat right at the front row, and I would sit there in that front row with that desk around me, and I was in Dr. Walton's class, and I was trying to stay awake, trying to stay awake. I tried everything, you know. I tried everything. I, I tried to have a pen in my hand, and I held my hand over it. You know, you know what happened? I dropped the pen. <laughs> it was so bad. One time I was in class, I actually fell out of my seat. <laughs> it woke me up. It woke up the professor. <laughs> it woke up the whole class and they had a good laugh. Oh boy, I quit that UPS job. Sorry, Southern... <laughs> Anyway, trying to stay awake. That guy, he was doing his best up there where, but he fell out of the upper loft and fell down on the ground. And I believe the scriptures indicate, and hey, who am I to argue with Dr. Luke? He was probably there and he saw it happen and, and maybe he came down and took the pulse or whatever and he was taken up dead is what Luke describes it. 
And everybody, you know, that's kind of a disruption of the service, you know. Things like, that's worse than, that's worse than having a cell phone go off. That's a hint, folks. That's a hint. <laughs> but that would disturb the service a little bit. So what Paul did, he went down and he fell on him. You know, I actually saw a commentator say that he gave him CPR. I said, no, no, this is like Elijah and Elisha, you know, falling upon him and a miracle happened and he was alive again. I believe that's what happened. And then he, everybody was happy and then he continued on. You know, Paul cared for this young man. He cared for him. He, he didn't want, and that's what the church does. That's, that's a pattern. When, when one believer is hurting when one has a, a brokenness in their life, a loss, when there's a job loss, that there's something that's need, the obligation of the family, we see the pattern in the book of Acts, is to be there and falling on them and encouraging them and in helping them to get back up on their feet. That's the res- pattern we see. Paul's passion for the church is care. There's one more thing that I, I want to see here in this whole Uh, text of Paul's travelogue, his passion for churches working together. You got to understand what this was, uh, what Paul wanted to get to Jerusalem. It's the offering for the saints in Jerusalem. That's one reason. That, That was probably his main reason, is to get the money. You see, that the saints that were saved, that were believers, Paul did his best to, to see, even though they were Jewish believers, they were people from a pagan background, uh, people from a Greek philosophy background, all different backgrounds. He was preaching the oneness of Jesus Christ, that we're all the same. And, and we see that in the book of Acts. That's why the Samaritans had a Pentecost, and that's why the Gentiles had a Pentecost, and the, the Jews had a, so that they would all have the same spirit. It, and it would be evident they didn't feel like they were second-class citizens. And when one part of the body was hurting, the others, even though they were miles in different countries away, those believers got together, even from their own poverty, and gave to help those believers down in Judea and in Jerusalem. You know, one of the things that uh, I had privilege, I, had a, I went up to Lakeland just a couple weeks ago or last week, for a conference up there. And I was sitting there at the table, and um, Walter McDonald, uh, pastor at that church in Tallahassee that had that fire, remember? The, the, the church burned down. It was arson. And our church got together, and we, we gave them six or $7,000 to help them rebuild. He came over to my table, and, and he says, Brother Jim, he's, he's a, it's an African-American congregation. And he showed me, he says, I want you to see something. And he showed me the blueprint of his new church building. And he says, you folks are making, helping to make that possible. I tell you, that was such a blessing to me. To, to, we can help others. And we've been helped, folks. Ourselves, we've been helped. Uh, First Baptist over here during our uh, model, the four months, we were were over there needing their help to give us a place to worship. And that's what the body of Christ needs to do. And that's what they were doing. Of course, this this bringing the various races and backgrounds together. But 
the, the main thing that we see here is that unity was built on the truth. Without commonality on the truth of the scriptures, there can be no unity. You can't work together with people that don't preach the gospel, that don't, that, that don't stick to the word of God, but we see that passion. Well, as we look in this passage of scripture, Paul's priority and his passion for establishing local churches is still the biblical pattern of reaching the world with the gospel of Christ. Let me ask you this question. What is your passion level for the church? A churchgoer wrote a letter to the editor of a newspaper and complained, it just made no sense to go to church every Sunday. The letter reads as follows. I've gone to church for 30 years now. In that time, I've heard something like 3,000 sermons. But for the life of me, I can't remember a single one of them. So I think I'm wasting my time, and the pastor's wasting his time too. This started the real controversy in the letter to the editor column, much to the delight of the editor. It went on for weeks until someone wrote the following clincher. I've been married for 30 years now. In that time, my wife has cooked some 32,000 meals. But for the life of me, I cannot recall the entire menu for a single one of those meals. But I do know this. They all nourished me, and they gave me the strength I needed to do my work. If my wife had not given me these meals, I would physically be dead today. Likewise, if I had not gone to church for nourishment, I would be spiritually dead today. How faithful are we to our local church? How committed are we to growing stronger in faith? And how can we start making more disciples? Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you very much for the lessons that we learn from Paul's travelogue and his passion for the church. It echoes the passion that Jesus had for his bride, his church. I pray, Father, today as we remember the Lord's Supper, we will remember what Jesus did to pay for his church, his beloved. He died on the cross because his church was so valued and loved by him. I pray, Father, that we would love it just like Jesus loved it. In his name we pray. Amen.